Well, if you will, open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, chapter 22. And when I say Revelation, chapter 22, it should hit some of you. You say, wait, that's the very last book of the Bible. And it is. And today we are going to start three or four week study of end times. When we talk about end times, we are talking about the events that will bring about life as we know it being over. It is not like we're talking about the very finish of humanity. It is the beginning of eternity. So it's kind of ironic when you talk about end times, it's the end of life as we know it, but not life forever because life is going to take a new uh, transition. And when we come to verses 6 to, was it, 21, we are coming to the final words about the end times. So that is what I put as the theme on your sermon notes. If you look, um, if you're visiting, there are sermon notes in the bulls, and you pull those out, and the theme says the final words. And it's the final words about the end times, because this is the very end. And I thought it would be really good for us to study these final words over six, verses 6 to 21. Instead of doing what I've often done when we talked about end times, where we go into passages and we specifically talk about the rapture, the event where God is going to come and pull people from the earth. We believe Jesus Christ is going to do that before the tribulation. We'll talk about those things. You should know that the rapture is in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, John 14. Those are all passages that deal with end times. We'll go to some of those over the next few weeks. We're not going to, we're going to even today look at some of the the tribulation passages, but you should understand that there is a coming tribulation that's talked about in the Old Testament as well as in the New Testament, and we'll talk about that. We'll talk about Israel, how important the tribulation is, the end times are, for the establishment of Israel. Most people don't even know, most people today don't even know that most, most churches today do not believe that Israel has a future. Can you imagine? And for me, that's unfathomable. But when you study end times, you know, you have to understand that Israel is at the heart of God's program. That's why every day you wake up and you hear about news overseas with Israel. It should be a constant reminder of how God is getting closer and closer to the end times. Ever since the year 1948, when Israel became a nation, we, the end times awareness should have just reached incredible heights because of the reality that God promised. God said in the book of Ezekiel that he would gather Israel as unsaved people before the end times. And we'll look back at some of those passages as well, but you should be aware of those passages and we'll talk about different dispensations. And so we're going to ultimately, though, focus on these final words because I know that sometimes people look at Revelation 22 here and they say that these things are just filler words. And I'm going to tell you, these are not just filler words that wrap up your Bible. They, these are very, very important words that, that I think bring so much together. So look at Revelation 22, verse 6. And we'll pick up, and, it's, and John writes, John, the beloved disciple, writes, And he said to me, 
These words are faithful and true, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Verse 7, And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, of the prophets, and of those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. Verse 10, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the one who does wrong still do wrong, and the one who is filthy still be filthy, and let the one who is righteous still practice righteousness, and the one who is holy still keep himself holy. This is a repeated line. It's one of the scariest passages in all the scripture. It's repeated in the book of Revelation. Can't wait till we get to it. Verse 12, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Outside are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the adulterers and everyone who loves and practices lying. (laughs) I think about this passage often because this is repeated too. And I think, you know, you could put so many things at the end there. Those who practice immoral living, those who practice being thieves, but he puts those who practice lying. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Oh my goodness, that is just a mind-blowing passage. Brings in Israel, brings in just so many concepts. Then we go to verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come, and let the one who hears say, come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the water of life without cost I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues which are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away from his part from the tree of life and from the holy city which are written in this book. You think this book is minor, insignificant, cannot be understood? My goodness, what an incredible warning. And then you come to verse 20 and 21. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. What an amazing finish. That's the final line of the Bible. Now, as we went through this, as you look at your sermon notes, there are three parties that primarily are talking here. You have an angel speaking, you have John, the writer, and you have Jesus. And it was this is kind of like really hard to, to sometimes outline. And so I just put it into a dialogue. It, it's the angel's going to speak, then Jesus is going to speak, then John's going to speak, then the angel's going to speak again. And we'll just go on as they follow through or take us through a conversation. So you got the three parties. But what is interesting is that, 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 that three truths are going to be pounded in. And so I put those on your sheets. The, the message is genuine. The return of Jesus is imminent, and be warned, you better be ready. And so there are some verses, you can, we'll go back, we'll refer to those over and over, but those are the key three truths, and we'll pull those out as we come into this. Now, when we study end times, end times are fun to study. I I, want to make it encouraging and and fun to study, because there's there's a heightened awareness when you're studying end times, an awareness that... 
like it's in movies, it's in books. It's like right when the end is about to come, something exciting is going to happen. You think movies have it when a, you know, a bomb is going to go off, right? And, and you know, if you're going to come to this point of great climax in a movie, is the bomb going to go off? Is it not going to go off? And you know, most of the time in our movies today, the bomb doesn't go off. Well, in the book of Revelation, there isn't going to be anything that's going to stop the ultimate destruction. This world is going to blow up, and it's going to be really amazing as we go through this. So I'm excited about studying end times. I hope you are too. And let's jump right into verse 6. And verse 6, you see the angel speaks first, and it says this, And he said to me, okay, and you say, wait a second, we're starting with the word end. How are these like the final words? Well, this is what I want you to understand, okay? The angel is speaking, and he's been speaking since chapter 21, verse 9. All right, look at chapter 21, verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls of the seven last plagues came and spoke to me. Well, you have to know what the bowls are. We're gonna, I'll talk about that in a second. But this is, this is an angel who said, come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And this angel has pulled John aside. Everything is pretty much done at this point. And, and so verse 10 says, he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God. And so Jerusalem's come down. Jerusalem, the capital of the Jews, all right? And so... You come down to verse 15. The one who spoke with me had a gold measuring rod to measure the city, its gates, and its walls. It's a real city, real measurements, physical place. We're not just floating on clouds. Eternity is about to begin, people. And so we talk about the material in verse 18. Um, verse 21, the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. I wasn't going to do this, but I'll do this here. Do you know, you know, people talk about the pearly gates, the pearly gates, and, and there are really pearly gates. And what excites me about the pearly gates is, you know, you've got gold streets, you've got all these other different elements, topaz, everything there. It's just, I don't think it's an accident that, do you know the pearl is the only, like, gem that is organically created through death. And I think every time we go by those pearly gates, we're going to be thinking about the death of Jesus Christ. Okay? Verse 22, I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. And the city had no need of the sun or the moon to shine on it. The space is going to be changed because we're not going to need a sun. Somehow, light is going to emanate from God in eternity. And you see, verse 24, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. There's going to be organization. There's going to be structure. This is the beginning of something. We don't even know all the details that are going to happen. I'm excited about eternity. I long for eternity. It's a real physical place. It is not just sitting on clouds, playing harps, wondering, you know, you know, just, just, just being mindless. It's going to be an exciting time. God talks about organization of cities and giving us authority and all of those things that show that life is going to be very productive for eternity. Maybe we populate the entire universe 
Verse 22, I mean, chapter 22, verse 1, he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne. And there's no longer, verse 3, no longer going to be any curse, no longer going to be any night. There's no need of light, once again, reminded. Everything physical, this angel has showed John, this is all laid out. And it's at this point that the change comes that these three truths this message is genuine. The return of Christ is imminent. Jesus is imminent. Be warned, you must be ready. Fill in the blank. The message that this guy is telling us at this point, this is really going to happen. This is really going to happen. Look at verse 6. He said to me, these words are faithful and true. The Lord, the God of the spirit of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And and. The, when he says these words and then wraps it up with the very last line, the things which must soon take place, we are talking the entire gamut of the book of Revelation. And he's saying these are faithful and true. You can count on this. When God says something is faithful, it's dependable, it's trustworthy, it is something that you can count on. It's true, it is accurate. These are the things that are going to happen. And we'll talk about the timing Okay, in a little bit. But the reality of it is, is you must understand this is going to happen. Now, what happens with the book of Revelation? You know, I went to <laughs> Highland Christian School. They brought us in for a pastor's conference. I got to sit next to a pastor, and, he, and we're talking, and I said, you know, what are you studying at your church? And he goes, well, I'm studying the book of Revelation, but we really don't know what that book means. That has no meaning to us. And I, I sat there smiling because I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me. And yet, this is the reality. A lot of people think that you can't understand the book of Revelation. Turn to chapter 1. I want to give you a big overview. And this is what I want you to understand. Because I think those of you who study the book of Revelation and those of you who really get into it will need to understand this one very, 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 very important truth. When you study the book of Revelation, you don't change your hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is a big word. All that means is the way you study it. I have read ad infinitum. I've got books in my office, and there's all kinds of views on the book of Revelation. And, and, and I can show you book after book after book where people take this as figurative or this is not spiritual. They take it as something that is all symbolic, and, and it leaves a lot of people confused, and they think that you cannot understand this. But what, the reason they do that is because they often will admit in their books the reason we come up with a different view than a literal understanding of the book of Revelation is because we look at this as apocalyptic literature, and we're going to use a different type of hermeneutic. We're just going to use the symbolic hermeneutic. And you scratch your head, and you say to yourself, who gives you the right to do that? So if you're someone and you're saying, well, I'm just a layman. I hear there's all these different views on end times. I have no idea why these end times occur. I'm thinking different views occur. I want you to understand. That's why people just, they make a decision that they are not going to use the grammatical historical method of interpretation. They are going to just take everything as symbolic and they arbitrarily make that designation. But I want to show you this principle that we often apply here. If the literal makes sense, seek no other sense. 
And then also know that there are times when things have symbolic meanings, but do you know the book of Revelation has over 400 references to the Old Testament? And these pointers will help us understand what the book of Revelation is to, be, is to mean. So look at the very first verse, Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated by his angel to his bondservant, John, who testified to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. That's the first, verse three is the first of seven blessings, just like the Beatitudes in the Gospel of Matthew, Beatitude, blessings, the book of Revelation has seven of those blessings, and we'll see one in chapter 22. Seven of these that say you're in a good place if you listen to the book of Revelation and have it impact your life. So that's why a great blessing to study end times. But look at the very first word. It's not revelations. It's the revelation. The word revelation means unveiling. It's the unveiling of Jesus Christ. And the book of Revelation is about how Jesus Christ is going to come to take over the world it, and, and, and how he is coming back to rule the world. So simply put, if you can understand, what is the book of Revelation about? It's how Jesus is going to be unveiled to the world as who he is to be the ruler and king of the world. When you come to verse 17, okay, um, John has said not to be afraid. Um, do not be afraid. Jesus is speaking. I am the first and the last and the living one. I was dead and behold, verse 18, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death in Hades. We understand that's Jesus. Therefore, th this, is, this verse 19 is considered the outline passage for the entire book of Revelation. So you should start chapter 1, verse 19. And it says, therefore, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. Now, there's the outline. Things that you've seen, things that are, things which must take place. It's a three-part outline. Most commentators, they all understand this outlines the book. And so here's how the outline of the book of Revelation works. Chapter 1 is the things he's seen. He, he has seen Jesus, not as a little guy holding a lamb, but as a white-haired terror, okay? And we didn't go through that, but verse 14, Jesus is now a white-haired old man terror. Those are the things that he's seen. The things that are, that are, the second part, is chapters two and three, the churches, the seven churches of Revelation, which we go through for communion. So the things that are, are chapters two and three. It is in that passage, those passages, that spiritual truths for the church are given. Truths that can all be understood about how we need to be loving, not compromising, not a dead church, how we want to be like Philadelphia. I just point out, look at chapter 3, verse 10, where the church, a faithful church, is told, Behold, because you've kept the word of my perseverance, I will keep you from the hour of testing the hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. The, the that expression, those who dwell on the earth, you can look at the Old Testament. It was an expression for unbelievers. And then the concept of the hour of testing is something that will be repeated 
and understood as well, Old Testament, New Testament, a time of incredible judgment. And we're told that we're going to keep, be kept out of it. This is part of the reason we come to a realization here of what's called the pre-trip rapture. That when Jesus Christ comes back for his church, it is going to be like in two parts. Because we believe he's coming to keep us from the coming hour of testing. All right? Chapters 2 and 3, the things that are. When you come to chapter 4, verse 1, it says this. After these things, I looked and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking to me, said, Come up here and I will show you which must take place after these things. Remember the third part? That which must happen. Okay, you had the things that are the church, which we believe we're living in today, chapters 2 and 3, the church age. And now the things that must take place. You go from chapter 4 to chapter 22, and from this point on, you never get a reference to the word church, except for maybe one more time. I think it's at the end of in chapter 22. This is part of the reason you start to say, wait a second. You know, when you start to put together a theology of is the church going to be taken prior to the tribulation? Well, I wouldn't use this as my primary piece of evidence. Chapter 3, verse 10 would be. Chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians would be another. But the idea here is that from this point on, you don't have the church as a key player. What you have is God's judgment that begins through the description of what's going on in heaven. And what is happening in chapters 4 and 5 is that there is this cry for God to take over the world. Remember, the revelation of Jesus Christ is that he's coming to take over the world. But we're watching the story take place, and what happens is, is there's nobody worthy to take over the world, but then the Lamb, which we know to be Jesus, comes forward and says, I, in essence, can take over the world. And it's at this point that the seal, trumpet, and bold judgments come out of a scroll, which is, we believe, the deed for the earth. So look at chapter 6, verse 1. And here is where most people get really excited about looking at all the details. You should understand the, the, the seven-year tribulation begins in chapter 6, verse 1. And we get the seven years from the book of Daniel. We get it from the book of Revelation. We get it played out. You'll see, we'll see in some references to, to the, the very fact of, um, that this, these events are, have to take time. They cannot happen in a, one single day. So verse 1 of chapter 6, Then I saw the Lamb break one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying as with a voice of thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And here begins the four horse, horsemen of the apocalypse. All right. Big picture. Remember chapter 1, verse 19. John's told by Jesus, hey, I'm going to write down the things that, are, that you've seen. You, you've seen me, chapter 1. Things that are, chapter 2 and 3. The things which must soon take place. Chapters 4 through chapter 22. Takes us into eternity. What is going on is God is coming to take over the world. God has worked through different time periods. We call them dispensations throughout eternity. And he's been 
lived through a time when man was innocent in the Garden of Eden. He's lived in a time when man has just had conscience. Man has had laws where the Jews were given 613 commandments. You follow these. You know exactly what to do every day. We've gone through the church age. And now we're coming to what's called the tribulation age. What is this? God is trying to say, mankind, I've been kind, I've been loving, I've been trying to get your attention, but the reality of it is, is you want nothing to do with me. And so what I'm going to do now is I am going to start spanking the world like it's never been spanked before. And, and, and this, you, you have in chapter 6, it's called the seal judgments, because as the scroll was played out, it was tied together by a seal. Then when we come to chapter 8, you go to chapter 8, verse 1, and you've got what's called the trumpet judgments, because as the scroll is played out, woo, woo, it's like these trumpets are going out, and it's announcing, hey, I'm coming, I'm coming, and the judgments are getting larger. In the sealed judgments, one-fourth of the world dies. So if there's seven billion people on the earth, one-fourth of those will die, um, like 1.7, 1.8 people, billion people, okay, okay. Just for you, just a side note, the super lotto is up to 1.3 billion people. <laughs> that, that more people will die in the seals than there is money in that. Okay, think about that. West people, that'll be your witness. Not so that you go buy a lotto ticket. You can stand in line as all around the block, and you can witness. Hey, do you know more people of you will die in a, <laughs> the first seals judgments than? Okay, side note. Chapter 8 begins the trumpet judgments. One-third of the world falls through those. So chapter 8 and 9 describe those. Do you know what? Just so that you turn to Revelation 9, chapter 20, I mean, verse 20. And I want you to understand, when I said that God is smacking the world, he's trying to get people's attention. He's trying to get them to repent. You see, verse 20, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as to not worship the demons and the idols of gold and silver, of brass and stone and of wood, which can neither see nor, neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murderers, nor of the sorceries, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. God is trying to get people to repent. He's trying to get people to believe. Come to faith in Jesus Christ. The message of Christ will still be proclaimed. The church could be gone, but the message is still going to be proclaimed. But now God is not letting people, you know, we, we watch people around the world do all kinds of vile and vicious things. We watch people um, do all kinds of um, blasphemous things where they just come out and they hate God, but God doesn't destroy them. Where Maybe you and I, we should. You know, John, remember John the sons of thunder, him and his brother wanted to call fire down from heaven. Jesus is like, it's not that time. It's not that time to do this. The tribulation is that time. And, and so when you come to the book of Revelation, you're seeing God spank the earth. Chapters 10 through 14 give you an interlude. I kind of tend to think this is the intermission. This is the middle point of the tribulation. You get some explanations. It, it's from chapter, chapter 12 that we understand that it was Satan who was in the Garden of Eden. It's in chapter 13 that you get the description of who the Antichrist really is. Incredible description of him. Chapter 14, though, reminds us how God's going to win. And then as we go into chapters 14 and 15, then we come to 16, it's the bowls of wrath. 
And God begins to pour, this is the end. So you got the sealed judgments that takes the scroll, the trumpets that, hey, it's announcing it. And now God is saying, this is the end. And the bowl is like God is dumping everything on the earth. And chapter 16 describes that. And it's like God is just saying, enough is enough. And listen to me, people. Everybody that, almost every unbeliever dies when this is all said and done. And when God literally comes back, every unbeliever, every person that is an unbeliever dies. It's vicious. The, the blood is like up to uh, oh, five stadia. It's really high in, in, at the Battle of Armageddon. It's an incredible, incredible picture. Chapters 17 and 18 talk about Babylon, the mystery Babylon. And I've tried to tell you to watch that, that, that project on, T, on the YouTube called the um, Fuel Project that gives you a little bit of un- insight into chapter 17 and 18. I think it's amazing. You come to the end of the Bible, and all of a sudden, there's this long discourse, chapter 17 and 18, on this thing called Babylon, and it's been undercurrent, running behind the scenes throughout all of human history, and it is what's driving God's anger, the false religious systems, the false economic systems, and I tell you, look into that. If you don't have access to the internet and you have a DVD player, I might be able to get you a... the actual video series but i would tell you to study and understand the babylonian system so then chapter 19 and 20 go into the millennial kingdom the thousand year reign satan being bound um jesus christ actually returning killing everybody (laughs) that sounds really gross in chapter 19 the marriage supper of the lamb but that's judgment people god hates sin he hates sinners he he died for the sinners he loves sinners in the sense that he provided for them but he will send everyone who doesn't believe in jesus christ jesus himself said unless a man is born again he doesn't go into the kingdom of god the kingdom that he promised the jews and so when you look at chapter 19 jesus christ comes back and he kills everyone that's an unbeliever then you go into chapter 20 and you have what's called the thousand year reign and many of our friends that call themselves believers will say this is all symbolic, but the, it's, it's not really a thousand years, but six, seven times in chapter 20, the word a thousand is used. And to me, it's a thousand. It's a thousand year reign. And when this is finally done, the final time for mankind to have grace is given and mankind rebels and god says that's it i'm gonna wipe off everyone that was born during this time that's still an unbeliever and this is when we kick in the new heavens and the new earth and that's what chapter 21 and chapter 22 is describing as now we're finally done no more chances there's never going to be unbelievers again once you come to chapter 21 and 22 (laughs) now all of this is for you to understand as the new heavens and new earth are being described in chapter 21 when we come to 21 6 this angel that started speaking in verse 9, come back to 22, verse 6, says, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirit of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. These things are going to take place. And this is really going to happen. And you note, it says, and the Lord, the guy that's in charge, God, the supreme deity, of the spirits of the prophets, okay, why the spirits of the prophets? Because 
God has used prophecy throughout human history to show mankind that he's in charge and he knows what's going on. You should know that maybe 25% of the Bible is prophecy. Much of that has already come true. Prophecy isn't just so that somebody could hold up a little tarot card office down the street and tell you your fortune and they can make some money off of it. Prophecy, genuine prophecy, is so that you can know who to trust, who to put your money with, who that you can count your life on. God has used prophecy throughout human history so that we can see he really knows the future. We've already just come out of a holiday, which we all celebrated the birth of Jesus Christ. Think about all the prophecies that have already come true. Micah 5.2, the Messiah, the Christ, would be born in Bethlehem. We all know that's where Jesus was born. 2 Samuel chapter 7, I think it's 2 Samuel, this book of 2 Samuel speaks about the Messiah being born in the line of David. Jesus was in the line of David. I, and I think about that all the time because I, I think so often we think of Jesus being this impoverished individual, so down, down and out, his family being so poor. His family was the elite family. Joseph was in the line of the kings. I mean, think about that. You know, in America, we don't have kings and queens per se, but we have like political families. You have the Kennedys, the Clintons, the Bushes, not taking any political sides. Jesus was born, his father was in the line of David. I don't know how often you think about that, but that was a prophecy that the Messiah would be born in that line. And here he was. Jesus was born in that line. Third, we have a prophecy that he would suffer and die in such a way that he would be pierced for our transgressions. That's Isaiah 53. That was a prophecy. That's come true. All of this is for you to understand. When it says in verse 6, the God, the spirit of the prophet, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. You and I need to understand that that, that God is a, is a prophet because he wants you and I to be able to live our lives accordingly in light of the fact that this stuff is really going to happen. Now, you see that line, bond servants. We can talk about it in great detail about you know, lowliness and servitude and slavery and all of this. But to me, it's more so... That's, Think of it this way. We are the people that work for God. And God is saying to us, I want you to recognize what's going to happen so that as you go and you live your life, you are someone that recognizes what's going to happen so you don't waste your time, you don't waste your efforts being people that spend a lifetime, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever God gives you, working for more accumulation of stuff, more accumulation of experiences when all of this world is going to pass away now it brings together so many different scriptures but you know if i have somebody working for me if i was an employer and i had an employee and i said to him look you know i really want you to make the widgets today or i really want you to clean up and they went and they did something totally different you'd say i'd scratch my head and say if you're working for me you're, you're you're doing the wrong thing if you're not doing the widgets or you're not cleaning up we are his bond servants and it's not just that God wants to take away joy and take away fun. It's more so, I want you to be doing the things that really matter. Store up your treasure in heaven. Think about eternity. Think about this is when life really begins. 
And it's not so you quit your jobs and you run around like chickens with your head cut off. So that if you're, if you're an employee tomorrow and you go to work, you're the best employee representing Christ so that your fellow man will see Christ so that you can reach them. If you're a, a homemaker, you are the best homemaker because you're representing your, 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 your faith to your children and to your neighbors. You, everything that we do, we have a mindset. We're his servants who's recognizing that time could end at any moment. Now, you might say, well, wait a second. This prophecy was given 2,000 years ago almost. This prophecy for the book of Revelation was in 90 AD. Why, why should I live with intensity about the end when it's been almost 2,000 years now? Well, the reality of it is, is you look at the next verse, and, and I, I know I'm going to go over just a few moments, but I want you to understand, verse 7 says, Behold, I'm coming quickly, all right? We must understand, in the light of eternity, Jesus is coming quickly. We'll talk more about this. But in a billion years, if Jesus Christ comes back tonight, the 2,000 years that have gone by since he's, re- he's been on the cross and resurrected, 2,000 years since this book has been given, will seem like a blink of the eye. And in the meantime... The passage we read in Matthew chapter 24, the passage that's here, verses 6 and 7, that remind us the imminent return of Jesus Christ is around the corner, is the idea that we keep this sense of urgency and it keeps us getting off track. Because I can tell you, if I'm thinking that tonight Jesus Christ is coming at 7 o'clock at night, there's no way that I'm going on the internet and looking at porn today. Because I'm going to have to answer to God. If, if, I'm, if I am thinking to myself, wow, the, Jesus Christ is coming back today, then I'm thinking, wait a second, I really got to be concerned about my children or my neighbors. I, I got to, you know, if I, and I start to think all of a sudden, like, you know, look, look, the reality is, Mike, you know, you became a believer in 1985. You thought Jesus Christ was coming back then, and it's now the year 2016. Come on. I, what do you want me to do? You really want me to live with that type of weight up over me? And I say, listen, it's not my call. God has said over and over and over, you go back, you read Matthew 24. He talks about be the servant that's ready for his return. Be the one that is ready for him to come back. And I can tell you, if you do, when you find your last breath leaving you, you will not regret, you will not, not, not regret the fact that you live for him. I have talked to too many people who have come near to death before they have died, and the common theme is, if they've been a faithful believer, it's never, boy, I gave too much of my life in serving God. It's, boy, I wish I would have given more. And, and so when we start talking about end times, we need to recognize this message is genuine, and, and this message is about being ready and living with that sense of urgency. Because once again this morning, I read the obituary pages and they were full. And so therefore, remember, Jesus Christ is coming again. And it's wonderful to study this program. You know, I wanted to talk about angels because in verse 6 and verse 8 and 9, angels become such a prominent part of a prominent part of, of the end times. And, and, and the thing that I want you to think about 
is, as we go into this week and we come back next week, is, you know, the Bible talks about, and we'll look at these passages, that we have guardian angels and we have angels that appear and we interact with. And next week, I'm going to share some of those stories of some ways that we've interacted with angels. Some really interesting stuff that, that, that's out there. But my point in bringing this up is, I want you to be aware of the spiritual reality that, you know, we sometimes we say, okay, we're not charismatic and we don't, we, we don't fall down speaking in tongues and go crazy like that. But we don't want to ever take away from the fact that you're spiritual people in a spiritual world. And this is the, the dynamics of the reality is there are angels out there and there are demons. And, and we need to live with this spiritual reality that we are in a world that's living this battle out, the battle of the, of the revelation that we get to play a part in. And we get to pray and we get to witness and we get to share the gospel. And we're living in a day and age, I can tell you, and I'll just wrap it up with this, is that we, we have people who don't think this is going to happen <laughs> this week. You know, as you guys know, you, you, I had a repairman in my house. You come to my house, more than likely I'm going to share the gospel with you. So I have a man that comes in, does his repair in five minutes, and for the next hour and a half we talk about the gospel, and I got charged for it. So that's so. But in, in sharing the gospel, I said to him, you know, this is really going to happen, using this theme, this point, this reality. And he said, and this is the first time it's ever happened to me, and this has really shaken me because it's just really sad. I go through the gospel. He goes, yeah, I've heard all this stuff, but on judgment day, he goes, that's when I'm going to believe. I've never heard anyone tell me that ever. I said, what do you mean? Well, and this is why you know, we talk about belief. Belief changes you. Belief impacts the way you live today. If, so if you're someone who says, I believe, but your life doesn't change, you're no different than my repairman this week who says, yeah, I, I understand this, but I, uh, I'm living with someone. I, I, you know, I don't go to church. I don't read the Bible. None, none of that stuff's for me. But I, yeah, I definitely know there's a God. I was raised in a church. But on judgment day, that's the day I'm going to believe. And I told him, that's too late. He says, show me. And I tried to show him some scriptures. And he says, no, no, no. I'm just waiting for judgment day. Well, I'm going to tell you, and this is the message that we have to get out to the world. Judgment day is too late. People must believe today. Today is the day of salvation. This is really going to happen. Look at verse 6. I'll just wrap it up. He who said these words are faithful and true. You can count on them. And the Lord, the God of the spirit of the prophets, sent his angel, his, his messenger, to his bondservants, the things which must soon take place. May God allow us to be a church that believes the book of Revelation is going to happen. May it even start tonight. Now, the ironic thing is, is we know that if it comes, Jesus comes for us tonight, there's like a seven-year period. I'm aware of that, and that's part of what we'll talk about in the upcoming weeks, how there's that irony. Yeah, we're living with the urgency, but there's still time. But nobody wants to go through that tribulation. And so today, I would tell you, if you've not come to faith in Jesus Christ, you better make sure you're born again. When I said to my repairman, are you born again? You should have seen his countenance fall, just like that. He knew he wasn't. Today, you know if you're born again. You know if you've had a spiritual transformation. When you truly place your faith in Jesus Christ, believing that he's God and man who died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins, 
You get transformed. You get born again. And you know it. Make today have you ready for the return of Jesus Christ. Believe. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the store, the, the truth that this world is coming to an end. And I just ask that we live accordingly and that all in this room believe. In Jesus' name, amen.